You're listening to Zen Sandwich, a podcast that encourages mindfulness, gratitude, and hopefully an occasional laugh. I'm Mark Reed, a former college professor and lawyer. Now I live in the countryside of Japan, make traditional Japanese paper, and try to make myself and the world a little better today than it was yesterday. I'm here twice a week, either with research and observations or talking with inspiring, artistic, and influential people. The idea is to bring some calm and kindness to the world and help you do the same. Hey, here we are. My guest today is uh, Chris Atkin. And uh, Chris is a journalist. He's an author. So Chris has worked for Sky News. Uh, He has uh, written for the Huffington Post, um, for the Times, um, and he's written a book. Uh, The book is called Just As Well. It's not about the bike, uh, detailing his bicycle adventures through southern Spain. Um, he's also lived in Panama. You know, he's been all over the world. He's from the UK. He's in the United States right now. Um, a very interesting guy, and uh, glad to have him on the program. Welcome, uh, Chris Atkin. Hello, it's great to be here. Thank you. I have to uh, like. <laughs> I keep catching myself because when I was doing my initial research on you, um, there. There's Chris Atkin, which is you, and apparently there's Chris Atkins with an S who is a criminal of some sort. <laughs> yes, he seems to have written about his time as a convict. There's also, confusingly, a Chris Atkin who is a rugby league player in uh, the north of England. Um, so it's very frustrating for my uh, Google alerts that pop in. It's never about me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I learned... Uh, uh, this was another time that I was in Japan uh, in 2004, 2005, and uh, I used to go to this uh, this Australian bar. Uh, it was run by an Australian guy and his uh, his Japanese wife. But uh, you know, my name is Mark Reed, and uh, I don't know if you know uh, much about Australian pop culture or whatever. But apparently, there's this uh, famous uh, criminal there named mark chopper reed you can google him like just and his last name spelled the same and everything so yeah i had developed the moniker uh you know mark chopper reed in that in that pub back then um well uh the way i normally uh start this out is with a bio and you know where you're from and you know how did you get from point a to point b in your case i would like to start out because i know you're well traveled i'd like to start out with a kind of uh rapid fire like um yeah like um five quick questions five quick answers and uh to get to know you a little bit sound good yeah sounds good i'll try and keep it quick <laughs> yeah well don't worry i mean if you've got more to say um so uh well how many countries have you been to Ooh, uh i think at last count about 44 something like that wow that's good man i i'm at 21 uh yes you, you doubled me um well which I mean, I, I'm sure you've gotten the question before. I get it sometimes. What's your favorite? But uh, I won't. I won't put you on the spot to pick one above all the others. But what? In which one did you have kind of a phenomenal experience that you relive in your mind frequently? And I'm sure you've gotten some version of this question before. But uh, so I, I don't want to put you on the spot and say what's your favorite country. Uh, because that's kind of hard to answer, right? But but in which country did you have maybe the most phenomenal experience that you you kind of relive you in your mind more than others? Uh, I mean, yes, yeah, a tough question. I think uh, Colombia 
is really uh, right up there. Just when I did, I went traveling around South America um, a few years um, when I was a bit younger and then went to Colombia after I was in Panama uh, in 2018. And everyone had always told me, oh, you know, South America is great, but Colombia is the best, um, the best country in the world. And I was there thinking, oh, you know, this isn't, I'm not sure this is true because obviously there's so much about South America and the rest of the world, which is great. And then I went to Colombia and I realized, oh, yes, okay, turns out everyone's right. Um, and basically, the reason I hadn't gone to Colombia uh, when I was traveling in 2007 was because this, uh, I mean, understandable um, perception that Colombia was too dangerous at that time. And now it's a little bit more stable, um, not quite so um, dangerous in parts. And yeah, it just blew me away. There's um, Tarona National Park, uh, which is on the like, north coast of uh, Colombia, is one of the um, my, uh, my favorite places in the world. Yeah, that, um, I also want, I haven't been, but was at one point in time putting together the, the game plan to, uh, to go to Colombia. And, and I think the dangerous, if, for my, if I remember from my geography, uh, uh, from studying the geography at the time, it was really in that like southwestern region where the, the rebels were that, you know, you didn't want to be a kind of, you know, gringo walking through there um, with, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, but if you stay away from that area that you're, you know, it's generally a safe, beautiful, friendly country and worth seeing. Um, how about, uh, and again, I'm not going to say like, what's your least favorite country. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't want to lose that demographic here of any, if they might be listening, but uh, you know, where did you have a, a rough experience? If you've been to 40 plus countries, you've had one or two rough experiences somewhere. Yeah. Um, I, I was in, um, in, um, uh, the oh my god, sorry, it's just because Morocco is. Uh, Did you say Morocco? Uh, Marrakesh. Marrakesh. Thank you. Yes. Okay. I think, um, yeah. Okay. Cool. That's yes. That's terrible. I like to think I know my geography. That's just a um, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> just terrible. Um, no, no. Um, so yes, yeah, so I, I was. I had an unfortunate experience in uh, the markets in Marrakesh, where just a few market traders, as happens to several travelers every year, um, just kind of get strong armed into um into a shop and then really not really allowed to leave when they don't want to buy anything nor have the money to do so and then get chased around the squares and the tiny streets <laughs> that's not very pleasant um so yeah that would that would probably be quite hard i mean Marrakesh is an amazing place and it's got yeah. some incredible history and things but that one particular experience i do remember thinking wasn't particularly nice yeah that's funny uh I, when I was creating these questions, I had the same experience of like, you know, what was what would be my answers to these questions? And when I came to this one, it was also in Morocco. And, and similarly, like uh, there was one experience where I, I was kind of cornered into a, a rug selling shop like they were made by Bear Bear people or whatever. And I wound up buying the rug and it, you know, I, I ultimately was pleased that I bought it because it was a souvenir that I kept forever. Um, but there was another situation. It may have been in Marrakesh where, yeah, my friend and I, we were accosted like we were, um, you know, th this guy just he wanted money. And thankfully, he my friend and I were just were crazy Americans. So we like we responded in this like. I don't take shit from anybody kind of way <laughs> and it's scared. <laughs> like we didn't, I mean, he could, he might've had a knife or something and could have stabbed us. We didn't have anything except a big backpack, but our, 
insane reaction was enough to get for him to scurry away. <laughs> so, yeah, Morocco is an interesting place for sure. <laughs> um, well, uh, you've got 40 plus under the belt. Um, where next? I mean, it went, assuming that there will be a post COVID world and we can all go other places again. Uh, what's the next stamp you want in your passport? Uh, Mexico for me. Um, just a, a, it's kind of nearby to, <laughs> to the US, obviously, with the border. Um, I obviously want to be practicing. I'd like to, to use the time there to um, practice my Spanish if I can. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll see. So and also, it's just a place I've never been, and so many people I know have, have great experiences in Mexico. Um, Mexico City fascinates me, and then mm. I could enjoy spending time on the beach in Cancun uh, yeah. and all and exploring all the places in in between. So. That, that's high on my agenda. Uh, apart from that, Japan is just one of those places I think is very different from anywhere I've been. And just to experience it, I would, I would love um, to go to Japan. I just, yeah, finding the time yeah. and money is the problem. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Uh, obviously I'm biased, but. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I know. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you you got to, you got to put Japan on your bucket, on your bucket list, man. Um, yeah. Well, all right. Well, let's, uh, let's launch into, you know, why I asked you to come on the show. Um, the the book looks amazing uh tell us about the book what uh, so you went to spain uh, on a bike uh why so i flew into valencia um it was a part of the coast and i always wanted to visit uh, lots of british tourists go each year to that southern east um part of spain and just realize their summer holidays um I just spent uh, five months in Panama working for the lo- uh, country's largest language school, and I'd been paid um, in accommodation and Spanish tuition. So I was pretty skinny, but my Spanish was the best it's ever been by quite some distance. And um, yes, yeah, so I, I thought oh, this is my one chance to really to try and prove to myself that I could speak Spanish. I've always put people uh, who can speak a second language on a bit of a pedestal um because i'm just it's such a skill and i thought right this is my one chance to spend some time um really get, getting uh, proving to myself that i could do this um so yeah that, that was that was the and also i mean there was just so much that i wanted to know about about, about that part of spain right um so you uh you flew into valencia and you, you bought a bike rented one or or what yeah basically i mean this is a big decision for me at the time i had a uh, I had a bike, had two bikes actually um, at home, both like relatively cheap, um, would have certainly have done the job. Um, but I was worried about uh, the bike being damaged in transit and the fact that I would have to package it all up beforehand, then put it all um, back together again in Spain. And I realized that uh, I didn't really um, back myself to successfully um, put it all together uh, again. So I bought a cheap bike upon arrival uh, with the intention of then selling it the other end. Okay. Um, and, and it lasted with you throughout the duration of the entire trip, right? Yes, just about. And when I say it was a, it was a budget bike that costs um, – less than yeah $200 or so it has seven gears it was uh it wasn't really equipped for what it was trying to do it was on the website uh, it's described as like a um a casual uh casual um recreational bike for poodling around town not like going across <laughs> going across the country in all kinds of different terrain um for 1300 kilometers so certainly wow. things went wrong with the bike um but it just about held together 
Wow, that's amazing. So you did make it. I I, I do know Valencia. Uh, it's uh, is, is that still in like the Catalonian region? Like, is it near Barcelona or? It is in, it's nearish um, Barcelona. It's just effectively due south, but it is in the Valencia. It's, 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 it's in the Valencia region. It's not in oh, Catalonia itself. That's right. That it's its own region. It's a city, but it's in the Valencia region. Okay. And like, um, I think Ibiza is over there somewhere, but um, I'm trying to picture the map in my head. But uh, yes, <laughs> you went from there to, I assume you went, you stopped by Granada, right? Yes, correct. Yes. So I basically I went all the way along the coastline, really just hugged the coastline, apart from when there was particular places and cities that I wanted to um, explore uh, that basically gave me suitable motivation to land. So um, so to see Granada, I had to um, I had to cross over the Sierra Nevada, which was very hard work. <laughs> and then also, also uh, Ronda was um, uh, an incredible city that I was and that, that famous um, bridge over the gorge, uh, which is particularly iconic, I'd always wanted to see. So again, another um, very hard journey off uh, up from Marbella um, to go inland and then back down south uh, to Tarifa, uh, where I could see we could see Morocco with incredible um, precision uh, and Gibraltar. Yeah, well, that is that how you? We talked about earlier uh, being in Morocco. Did you take the the ship go past the uh, Rock of Gibraltar? Is that how you got to Morocco? That's that's how I went to Morocco. Is via Spain? No, no. This uh, that was a separate trip. Um, that was like a very um, yeah. That that was a Christmas holiday. Sev- uh, several years. Several years yeah. So that was basically a, a brief a brief stop um, in search of some sun. Um, so yeah, this 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 is different. Cool. Yeah, I uh, my my friend and I were we did the backpacking thing. This is many years ago, and uh, we walked the length of Granada by accident. Uh, we had taken the bus in. We had our overstuffed backpacks or whatever, and we didn't want to pay for it. We were trying to do everything on the cheap, as cheap as possible, right? And we had a, a Lonely Planet guide. I don't know if Lonely Planet is still a big deal, but back then the backpackers that was the guidebook you use. That was the company. So we had our Lonely Planet guide which had a, a terrible map of Granada. And, you know, we, we were there to see Alhambra, right? The, the old uh, uh, Muslim fortress. And we we're going to stay. And um, anyway, long story short, we got off at the bus stop at one end of town and we looked at the map and, and we were like, we, yeah, man, we can do this. Anyway, fast forward. Yeah. Hours, hours later, sweat just dripping from these backpacks and, uh, and we, you know, like, is it this way or is it this way? I can't tell. I, you know, we eventually get to basically the eastern side of Granada, a, like welcome to Granada sign. Like we had basically walked the length of the town and uh, we even took pictures of like, you know, of us by the sign. But um, a learning experience. But it was it was a great place. I mean, I love Spain. Um, so anyway, uh, you left Granada and went then along the West Coast. Yes, so from Granada, I then, uh, I basically, from, yeah, from Granada, I'm trying to think exactly, I went to Guadix on, so over the Sierra Nevada to Guadix, which is where uh, 6,000 people live in caves um, in the local community, which is uh, amazing. Um, and then, so from Granada, and then came south uh, to um, Torx, Costa, uh, Torx Costa. I think this is via a... Um, 
national park there where I became hopelessly um I became hopelessly lost at one point and basically what I what I thought I was I was um following a path uh turned out that it was actually a dried up riverbed and so I was basically <laughs> just keeping like and, and I was thinking oh this is fine it seems something nice or obviously furrowed path uh, and I went and then there was this big ledge and I thought oh, this is a bit strange but you know this is mainly for hikers not uh, for my not for cyclists so I just kind of jumped down this eight foot um hole basically and thought oh, you know, I hope I don't have to come back up here this is gonna be a bit of a nightmare and then carried on going and then realized there was like huge like um trees and bushes and things <laughs> all down this path and then realized and this is about uh, yeah I'm probably 800 meters in altitude above the sea so I can see the sea but I'm miles and miles and miles from it and I know I need to get to the coast where I can mm. um rest tonight and so yeah so the, basically then I was I was genuinely worried I was going to get trapped on the mountain and trying to work out how to get all my stuff my bike and myself up an eight foot ledge um <laughs> was yeah was 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 worrying um yeah. but I got there in the end yeah these are the kind of stories that like and I you know I've got a, a ton of them as well like this feeling of what the hell have I gotten myself into, right? That when you get out of them and you're back safe in your apartment in California or, you know, when you're back safe at home and and it was years ago that it happened, oh, it's a great story to tell. But, oh, man, at the time, you're like, is this the end of me? Is this where my in my life ends? <laughs> you know, is this the end of my story? So. Yeah. I was so determined not to be the um, English tourist in the uh, in the papers who's got stuck in the mountain, stuck on the mountain, uh, as, as all the eagles kind of came down looking for the carrion. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is this is a terrible way to go. So I was yeah, just desperately trying to work out a solution. Um, yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah, that, w- that, that that will to to live will will get you out of a lot of tough spots. Um, before we run out of time, I would do want to talk about your, um, I, I don't want to leave anything out on the trip, anything else on that trip that, um, that is noteworthy or, um, well, I mean, you took a bunch of notes, you wrote a book, uh, about it. So, um, I mean, tell us basically what, you know, I, I don't want to say, tell us all about the book, uh, cause we need to buy it and read it, but, um, you know, give us a synopsis. So, I mean, yeah, basically it's about my journey across the country. Um, and it, but it, it's uh, the reason it's called, um, it's not about the bike. So, which I don't know how many of your listeners will be able to, um, uh, will, will recognize this, but it's a pun on the, um, Lance Armstrong uh, autobiography, mm-hmm. um, which obviously, so, where his could be called, it's not about the bike. It's about the EPO. Um, by and the reason why it's not about the bike is because basically it's not the whole point is that just as well it's not about the bike because the bike was dirt cheap but also because it's, it's about the journey and the people i meet and the incredible uh history um that i of the places i went to um like when i was in uh, I, I cycled through this part of um part of spain yeah so basically so i um cycled through a town where in nine in january 1966 four hydrogen bombs um, were dropped by accident by the US on Spain. Uh, three of them landed on the, um, near the very near the, near, near the shore and they, they detonated, but the, um, but the non-nuclear parts had detonated effectively. So there were, the fail-safes worked just about. Um, but then the fourth bomb, um, they didn't have a clue. It was the biggest maritime search um, up to that point in history. 
And they were, the, the Americans were terrified that the Soviets were going to find the bomb first and would then um, take all the um, Cold War new secrets. Um, obviously, there's a concern that what's going to happen to um, the environment. Um, it was, and just, yeah, just, just finding out things like that, which, is, which I knew nothing about. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's amazing. And then the fact that the, um, the, the policy called Operation uh, Chrome Dome, I think, was, um, was this US policy of basically making sure that nuclear bombs were being carried in these planes over Europe constantly uh, to make sure that um, to counteract any Soviet threat and to act as a deterrent. Um, but because the nuclear bomb um, exploded in the sea um, within certain, um, obviously the failsafe worked a bit, but like the radiation in the area was horrendous. And they try to create this eye scene of being like, oh, you know, it's absolutely fine. There's nothing to see here. So the US uh, ambassador to Spain and the Spanish tourism um, minister all went swimming in the sea and like with in front of all the cameras to be like, oh, this is great, this isn't it? It's wonderful. And actually, they were just they were exposing themselves to terrible amounts of radiation. Right. Um, and so they were they, they ended up dying both um, at very um, late in life, like ninety, 90 I think eighty nine and ninety one years old. Wow. Um, as in, there were a lot of people who were clearing up the the nuclear mess who when not so lucky and, all, and died terribly premature deaths. Mm. Um, and it's, yes, it's, it's lots of things like that, which I wasn't aware of. Um, and you just, yeah, it's, it was, it was an interesting part of the coastline, which to, uh, so, to British people at least, it's kind of a place you go on for, like, you go and get a suntan, when actually right. there's so much more to that region than, um, yeah. than many people think. Yeah, I, I found that everywhere I go, uh, that I, you know, I, I might go to, um, Florence, Italy to see the Duomo or something, but, you know, I, I wind up finding, I don't know, a library or a cafe or yeah, just finding so much more, finding out about the history that, you know, the Duomo becomes an afterthought, you know, um, so, yeah, I, I tell people, like, traveling and education are kind of, uh, in my mind, like, the two pillars of of wisdom and a good life, <laughs> you know, um, so that's that's great, man. Um, well, tell us uh, about journalism. You have written for uh, Huffington Post. You've written for The Times. Uh, I mean, who else? And what? But you're a freelance writer. So yes. Okay. How how does that work? Do you contact them, or do they like call you up? Hey, Chris, we need an article on you know uh, bicycling in Spain or, or whatever. So I mean, yeah, basically, uh, freelance journalism journalism has struggled. Um, during the pandemic as I mean, journalism as a whole, as an industry has been struggling for a long time. And with so many companies across the world, obviously struggling in terms of um, um, finances and having to lay staff off their advertising uh, expenditures were obviously one of the first things they, um, they withdraw. And that obviously affects all the um, publications. And so the publications are then struggling to look after their own staff and effectively it all, um, follows on and so it's the freelancers effectively who are the first ones who go who have to be going right we're going to do less work with freelancers and we'll focus on trying to keep the the staff they have um so yes yeah, a tricky time for freelance journalists at the moment generally well almost all of the time it's um contacting the publication saying i've got this great story but it's great angle um uh, would would you be interested in commissioning it um Having said that, there was one, uh, one of the articles I wrote for the Huffington Post at the time of the US election. They wanted to know what it was like uh, on the ground um, in Silicon Valley. 
Um, so I, so that was that was one time when the they got in touch with me. But generally, yeah, far more so. It's the case of of pitching various different stories, um, and then seeing uh, seeing if they're interested or not. Right. Okay. How uh, when they ask you to write a piece like that uh, about that has a political angle to it, um, how nervous do you get about uh, you know remaining unbiased as a journalist? versus uh well let's say if that piece is for the huffington post i mean there's a, a kind of obvious left lean uh for that publication um I, I guess how much do you take uh and i mean you it, your your personal political beliefs uh are you're welcome to express either one of them whatever side you fall on I, it doesn't bother me i'm all about being an independent person um i read the huffington post sometimes but um you, you know i guess what what i'm asking is how much does your personal views uh, ever, uh, you know, commingle with your work? I think as a journalist, uh, you have yeah, you certainly have to be very careful. Um, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I enjoyed writing the book because it's very, it's a very, per it's much more personal, and you can therefore you have much more freedom to say things and um, express in certain ways. Generally. I like to think that you can um, extract, uh, I mean, the, the pieces I, I'm generally writing, they're not opinion pieces, so therefore it's very clear that you're writing um, about factual events and you've got to stick to them. Um, I, I mean, for example, when I was working at Sky, working at Sky News, the constant criticism online would be, oh, you know, this is just so right-wing, this is, um, so you're, you're just in the pocket of Rupert Murdoch, um, which would actually, so that just, isn't really um, valid at all in the sense that um, Sky News would work so hard to make sure they're seen as completely um, um, uh, independent and neutral um, as any other publication would. Um, so, and again, I mean, you have the, you have the scenario where actually uh, you get criticised for being too left-wing and then too right-wing, and that probably means actually you're doing the right, um, the, the right, the right thing. So. Yeah. It's interesting because I, uh, you know, living in Japan, I, I get my, I try to get my news from multiple sources. And I actually do stop by the BBC first um, because I do feel like it's, uh, it doesn't have, e even if some people would say that it has a left lean to it, I, it's very subtle if, if it is there. I, I do think that you kind of get the, the broader scope, you know, and I like NPR from the States, but, um, but yeah, I've come across Sky News uh, living here. And, you know, I, I have a sort of skeptical ear when I first listened to some new news source, like where are they spinning the news here? And I felt like Sky News was pretty independent. I mean, I, I didn't, I couldn't, let's put it this way. It wasn't blatantly obvious to me right away if they had a lean left or right. So. Yeah. I think as well that, that um, in the UK we have, um, Ofcom, which is the um, broadcasting uh, um, ombudsman, and yeah, they are very—they would be very quick to um, to chastise and reprimand a publication or yeah, or um, company that was seen to be leaning one way or the other. Um, if you look at um, uh, RTV, um, the Russian um, television network, mm. uh, they've been in a lot of trouble for exactly that. So. Yeah, basically, it's you, you. The journalists generally have journalists generally have to be very, very careful. Um, but 
most of them know that it comes with the territory. So therefore they know, um, yeah, their personal views are different from um, what goes on air. It's very interesting, man. I, I, it's, I mean, it's it's actually always been uh, an interesting topic to me. Journalism was my first major in college. I, I wound up uh, changing it, but I, you know, I've had that that uh, fascination and interest for a long, long time. Um, well, let's uh, we'll we'll wrap it up here. The uh, I do a segment at the end of each of my shows called uh, Five Minutes Zen, and I uh, and you don't have to know anything about Zen. I just I try to give uh, the listener. Um, some kind of practical advice and um, uh, something that they can implement in their day. So my question for you, Chris, would be uh, after all of your travels and experiences and uh, I mean, both in the, the literal travels of going to some place like Spain and interacting with other people to uh, your experiences as a journalist, um, you talk to a lot of people, um, you know, are, <laughs> and you might have a certain view on whether people are, inherently good or bad uh, but you know how do you um how do you what are you grateful for let's put it this way what what are you grateful for in your day-to-day life uh you know based on all of these experiences you've put together how in what way has that made you grateful things that you might have taken for granted otherwise but because of this this wealth of experience that you've had what how does that change your mind in terms of you know i really appreciate this this thing because they didn't have this thing in morocco and you know i didn't know i would miss this thing or whatever it is how are you grateful you know because of your your travels and your your career um i think it's just there are times when as any travel as anyone who does any traveling knows there are times you can feel a bit um worn down by the hard sell or whatever it is, or just the, the, the I don't know, the, the tough bus journey that just never ended. Um, or just, yeah, um, people being difficult with your bags and all, all the kind of just when you're, when you're roughing it and it can sometimes feel a bit wearing. Um, but there, so then when someone shows you a bit of kindness or geniality that is, and it's not about trying to, um, they're not trying to get anything from you. They're just, happy that you're around um or there's um and they're, they're pleased to see you that's always i think a really that, that that's always that's always very very special um yeah. i mean I, I found as well with my with my book they're just getting it out in the world and having people actually say they're really enjoying it and um and like buying it and things that feels incredibly um uh, special in terms of just yeah um having everyone Get, get in touch who I haven't, who I necessarily haven't spoken to for a long time. They're all like making the effort of like buying it and um, re- and reviewing it and, and 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 enjoying it. Like a lot of these people could just take the easy route and go, oh, you know, uh, like not for me. And actually, there isn't a case at all. People have really enjoyed it, and um, that is um, that that's that's rewarding, and I'm grateful for their support. Mm, that's awesome. Yeah, I I love those experiences when. Uh, and sometimes they happen when, you know, you're, you're in a bind, like, you know, I'm lost or, or, you know, I've had people where I didn't have money, like maybe I had money in my bank account, but I couldn't access it or something. And I just needed to get on this bus or whatever. I, you know, where some stranger, you know, and not wanting anything in return, just helped me out 
to get, I would, <laughs> I, I won't go into a long story. I was in Korea once and I, uh, I had taken a, a bus on a weekend to go see this kind of monument thing at the edge of this little Island. I, I mean, I, it was really in the middle of nowhere and I found it, took a couple of pictures. I was the only one there. And, uh, and you know, the bus was gone and I was just alone, like at the corner of this Korean Island. And, uh, I'm like, what? what have I done? Am I just like stuck on the edge of this Korean Island now? And, uh, this is like on the West coast of South Korea. Like, uh, but, uh, anyway, this old Korean guy, in a little white pickup truck, he, he comes over and he can tell, like, I don't know what the hell's going on. And he, he can tell, he, he knows that bus that I took to get there ain't coming back. Not today. It might not come back for three more days, you know, and that might be a, like, th that was the Sunday bus. You know, there won't be another till Wednesday or something. I don't know. But, uh, and without speaking a word of English, I mean, that dude didn't know hello. And, uh, but just through gestures and, you know, he, he was able to communicate that he needs to take me back to the main port. And I, I was like, okay, this, this is great. <laughs> but I mean, without that guy showing up, I, you know, I might still be on that Korean island. I don't know. <laughs> so... Anyway, that's a long story, but I just, I, and I'll probably wind up cutting that out, but uh, I just, I totally get it. I, I totally understand what it's like to, you know, when someone is nice to you for no other reason it, other than they're a kind person. So, yeah. Yeah. So it. I think it's, it, yeah, and it's all about like, trying to pass it forward and yeah, just these things do stick with you because you remember how, um, how stuck you were <laughs> before they came yeah. along and showed you a bit of kindness. Yeah. Yeah. Same. I, yeah, I'll never forget that guy's face. And if I can ever help somebody similar situation, I, I'm, I certainly want to do so. Uh, Chris, where can uh, people find you? Um, tell them about the website and uh, where can they buy the book? And I, I'll put links in the uh, show notes for all this. Okay, great. So uh, see, they can find me on my website, which is uh, chrisatkinonline.com. Uh, my book, uh, Just As Well, It's Not About the Bike, is available on uh, Amazon at uh, bookpository.com. And uh, also, if you'd like to support um, independent bookstores, it's on um, bookshop.org, um, amongst quite a few other places, I think, as well. Um, yeah, I think you'll probably get it, you can also get it in like Barnes & Noble, um, that kind of thing. And if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, I'm Chris, at Chris Jatt, that's J-A-T. All right. I will definitely uh, I'll follow you as soon as this is over and uh, I'll put all the links for that stuff uh, at the bottom. Um, that's it. A good story, man. Um, uh, for those listening, if you like the show, help out the Zen sandwich podcast, uh, buy us a cup of coffee, go to uh, patreoncom slash Zen sandwich. Uh, if you can't do that, no worries. I'm glad you're listening. Uh, help us out by telling a friend. Um, that's it, man. I uh, I really appreciate your time and your uh, your story. Thanks, man. Right. Well, thanks so much for having me.